0: Hello and welcome back to Celluloid Jelly, a podcast featuring a couple of ex-video store guys who just love talking about movies. I'm CJ Talbot, and joining me as always is my co-host, Cesar Alejandro Jr. from Filmsmash.com. For this episode, we're discussing the latest offering from Disney and Lucasfilm, Solo, A Star Wars Story. How you doing, Cesar? How about you? I'm doing pretty good, I guess. Uh, Had a little bit of a late start today, sorry about that. Uh,
1: That's okay. We started on time, for a change.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Solo and uh, Fair Warning. uh, We're going to be spoiling the shit out of it, as usual. So, if you have not seen Solo, A Star Wars Story, uh, even though everyone knows that Han and Chewie and Lando will live to the end. Uh, you know, we recommend you see the movie before you listen to this podcast.
1: Or, you know, or not. You know, you guys live your life, whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I guess we care more about you listening than we do about you giving Disney money, but, you know, that's whatever.
1: Yeah, in in the grand scheme of things.
0: (laughs) Speaking of that, um, a lot has been made about, you know, obviously we, we are on the other end of opening weekend here, and a lot has been made about the fact that it has not made... Star Wars, and I'm putting that in quotes. Star Wars style money. I um, it opened up with a three-day total of eighty-three million and a four-day total of a hundred and one million. Um, you have any thoughts on uh, on the box office, or don't care, or what?
1: Well, I mean, uh, certainly it's going to be a, a bit of a disappointment uh, of Disney. Wars is a pretty uh, powerful brand. Um, I don't know necessarily. I mean,
0: this was hold, hold that episode. thought, Cesar. You you cut out. It looks like the the Google Hangouts cut out. So um, I I I didn't hear the beginning of what you were saying. So uh, you okay. can you can start over about box office. <laughs> I forgot already. <laughs> you you said right. certainly um, it would be a disappointment for uh, for Disney and Lucasfilm.
1: Yeah, um, the fact that this movie did not do. As well as uh, predicted, especially I think it surprised a lot of other people too. Um, even despite, um, I guess, like the numbers leading up to this opening weekend. Um, Star Wars, though, is something that people are invested in. Um, this open, this opening weekend, um, I don't know necessarily what's going to happen in the long game. Uh, certainly, there are a number of other Star Wars um, films and media in the works already, and I don't think this. This movie failing um, maybe not necessarily failing because I'm sure it's going to recoup more uh, more than what the production costs were Um, I don't think it's going to affect anything for us to to see in the immediate future Um, maybe down the line they'll be a little more hesitant to release more Star Wars story films um, but I don't personally uh, see see too much damaging what we know is in the works already
0: this was going to happen eventually Regardless, Uh, either that we were going to get Star Wars burnout or they were going to miss market a movie or they were going to uh, something was going to happen that was going to cause them to have a movie that underperformed, you know, to the expectations, you're not going to make a billion dollar movie every time out. And we've seen that with Pixar. We've seen that with um, the Marvel movies already. You know, I mean, this I I heard somebody compare Solo to the first Ant-Man. You know that this is this is Lucasfilm's Ant Man, you know, uh, and uh, I, I think I think they were prepared for this. Maybe not this early in the game, but they realized you know eventually, you know, one of these movies was gonna just do okay. Um, Solo certainly has time to recoup its costs, like you said. Um, it's not doing incredibly well overseas, but neither did the previous Star Wars films um, from the this new wave. Um, Force Awakens probably did the best of the new Star Wars films, but, uh, Last Jedi and Rogue One did not do, like, huge, huge, huge overseas numbers the way that, like, for example, uh, Infinity War is doing huge numbers overseas.
1: Has Solo, um, been released in China, too? Or did it get it, like, a week later?
0: Uh, it has been released overseas in China, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I am Ron Burgundy. <laughs> I, I think I saw that it was released in China, but that it didn't do particularly well. I think it made like 10 million bucks in China or something like that. Um, So, look, you know, this movie, because of the reshoots, uh, because of getting Ron Howard in at the last minute, because of getting a new composer in at the last minute, this movie cost him a lot of money, uh, you know. um. So they they may not recoup all their costs with this from theatrical and international box office, but they're going to get it through merchandise. They're going to get it through home video, ancillary sales, and things like that. So I wouldn't cry a river for Disney over this, and and, and certainly, and we're going to get into this. Obviously, it's the whole point of the podcast. Um, you know, I think I think the movie is better than the box office uh, indicates. Um, it maybe if only slightly. Um, but I, I think it's a solid movie, uh, and I think, you know, I think when people look back 10 years from now at the 10 Star Wars movies that have come out, um, that this probably is not going to be at the bottom of the heap. Um, you know, they're going to make one worse. <laughs> Some people would say they already have, but that's, you know, I don't want to rehash any Last Jedi sentiment over here, so, um... So I think I think we can we can move on from that. But it, you know, there's nothing coming out big in the United States over the next like three weeks, right? Not until Jurassic World. So yeah, I guess so yeah, so I mean, it's gonna stay in the top three or top four or top five movies for the next three weeks. It's gonna make some money. So if it only makes three hundred million dollars here in the U.S., people are gonna be surprised. But you know what? That's really not that big a problem. So. I think I rambled on a little bit longer than I wanted to there, so
1: <laughs> that's okay well let's let's table the solo discussion um, for a little bit uh, and as is customary uh, when we talk about the kind of stuff we've been watching recently, uh, what have you watched uh, in the last uh, in the last week or so since we last recorded
0: uh, well, um, to be honest, not a whole lot you know because of the holiday weekend and uh, and seeing solo uh, you know uh, I saw Deadpool a second time, um, because uh, Chelsea wanted to go see it a second time, because she loved it, so we went and saw that, we took her father to see Deadpool too, and he had a good time as well, and she loved it, uh, so uh, she said, you don't know what you're talking about, Cesar, but... She didn't say that to my face. <laughs> she, maybe she will, who knows. Um, but uh, aside from that, I've rewatched the original Star Wars trilogy, uh, and I, I did that intentionally to kind of look at uh, the performance that Han, Harrison Ford gives as Han Solo in those movies and, and to kind of uh, compare and contrast with what um, Alden uh, Ehrenreich does in this prequel film. Um, aside from that, I haven't really watched a whole lot. Um, but uh, what about you? Uh,
1: well, you know, not necessarily a preparation for Solo but tangentially related in that it's uh, a science fiction film.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I go ahead. I don't know what Are you talking about beyond skyline? <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 uh, love it. All right, go ahead. Uh,
1: so, uh, beyond skyline is a sequel to a 2010 science fiction film about an alien invasion. Um, the movie itself, yeah, I have not seen the original one. Um, the, the, re, the thing that got me interested in watching Beyond Skyline was the inclusion of the lead, Frank Barolo, who a lot of people would probably know as um, Crossbones um, from the Captain America um, film series. A pair of uh, martial arts actors, Iku Weiss and uh, Yaya Ruihan, who are most famous in the United States probably for their appearance in... Um, I guess Star Wars: The Force Awakens or yeah. the Raid films. The Raid,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: One of the big things about the original film, and it's probably the reason why I never saw it, is that people described it as basically a big budget sci-fi original movie. Um, I quite dislike many of those films, you know, of that type, Sharknado, and um, all that other stuff, or what have you. This film is certainly feels like it. Uh, plot armor in this film um, and over the invasion Frank Grillo um, his son uh, gets abducted and taken into a ship he goes after him to try to get him um, the ship is continuing its invasion after picking um, after attacking Los Angeles and ends up moving across uh, the Pacific Ocean um, into uh, Southeast Asia where he meets these other characters so uh, what this movie amounts to, is basically Frank Grillo and the Ray Boys punching and kicking and stabbing aliens in bio suits. and biosuits, uh, and maybe like kaiju kaiju esque aliens in giant robot alien armor fighting them um, um, above Vietnamese uh, Buddhist temples. It's uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty bonkers. <laughs> movie itself, I mean...
0: You know, if you had described that and told me that, um, not not told me what the title was, I might have guessed that it was a sequel to Skyline. Oh, yeah? Maybe. Okay. Uh, this, Skyline okay. sucked. <laughs> I'll
1: <laughs> take your word on it, because this, you know, overall I did not like this film. <laughs>
0: um,
1: no, I think uh, it taps into kind of like a childhood wonder, so I think maybe, maybe not maybe wonder is a little too strong, but maybe like childhood excitement. Um, if I was maybe, like, uh, five or six, I'm sure I would love this film, and nostalgia would, would have carried it to where I am now. Um, there's definitely a sense of dumb fun. The action scenes are actually pretty well done. The effects are fairly solid, um, but there's so much, like, ridiculousness that exists in it, and acting is pretty terrible, um, to be completely honest. But there there's enough fun in there, and, I, you know, I gotta say, though, it's, uh, it follows, like, the trend very similar um, in tone of, like, the more recent Independence Day, Independence Day Resurgence from last year, which was an atrocity of a movie. <laughs> uh, th- this movie is actually quite a bit better than that, but still, I, I can't honestly say that um, I loved it. <laughs> I can't so, honestly say that I enjoyed it outside of the action scenes either.
0: Better than <laughs> but, Independence Day Resurgence is not going to get on their poster. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> as well though (laughs) but yeah so that's what I watched it was a disappointment but you know I have have a I have a valid opinion
0: (laughs) absolutely absolutely um alright so let's let's get into solo um again spoiler warning we're gonna do it um so uh, Solo is essentially the prequel story to Star Wars A New Hope where we get to see a lot of things happen uh, with young Han Solo that sort of form him into the scoundrel that we see in that film. Um, from his days in Corellia as a street rat kid, um, you know, boosting speeders and working for a gangster named Lady Proxima, uh, to his escape from that world, uh his enlistment into the imperial army. Uh and then you know, of course he goes AWOL, um he hooks up with a band of thieves uh and gets into the 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 life that we now know. Uh he gets in in debt to a gangster from a uh, an organization known as Crimson Dawn. Uh and so therefore he has to pull off uh, this reckless job, very risky, uh, the Kessel Run, which we've heard of in the original Star Wars movies, where he meets Lando Calrissian, uh, he gets hooked up with Chewbacca in the film, uh, and, you know, yada, 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 it's a Star Wars movie. So, um, <laughs> Wars <is> <laughs> what were your initial impressions after seeing the film?
1: Um, I think overall, overall I, I like the film. Um, I don't think that there's... A... Like for most Star Wars films, um, especially the ones that are more recent, there's a tendency to to make everything look uh, um, not like the original films. This film, I like um, like the more physical sets. I like uh, um, maybe like the '70s style um, like attire. It felt closer to like an older Star Wars film um, in tone and feeling than uh, than a lot of these newer ones. Um, so I appreciated that. Um, the lead, Alden Ehrenreich, um, if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, I'm uncertain. I think it's Aaron Aaron Reich. Yeah. Um, the only other film I've seen him in was in the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar, and, and I enjoyed him and that film quite a bit, actually.
0: He's very good in that movie.
1: Um, so I, I thought he did a fairly good job. Um, I think he's a little too... Um, uh, he's cocky, um, but not in the same way that... Um, Harrison Ford's console is, but you could always just chalk that up to experience later on. No. You don't think so? I, um,
0: no, he's not cocky in the way Harrison Ford is. You are correct, you may continue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, not know you're wrong.
1: Yeah, but like there's there's plenty of other there's plenty of things I, I like in like in this film. Um, Woody Harrelson, I enjoyed quite a bit.
0: I think Woody Harrelson is good, but he's just Woody Harrelson in Star Wars. Uh, the The character does not, like, he, he's not the type of actor that vanishes into a role, uh, which... Oh, wait, hold on. Repeat that. Like, it buzzed on my side. I could, couldn't hear you. Oh, that's okay. Uh, he's not the type of actor that vanishes into a role, so it's really just kind of Woody Harrelson in a Star Wars movie, which I I think is, you know... I I would I would prefer them to cast these movies not necessarily with unknowns but with character actors that sort of can uh embody you know the character that they're trying to portray uh without having a lot of extra baggage and stuff. Uh but it it you know it doesn't detract from the movie uh but it really it's just Woody Harrelson, you know <laughs> being Woody Harrelson.
1: <laughs> like, I said, uh, like I said I'm fine with that uh, in most cases,
0: uh, Yeah. Uh, as like far as as far as Alden Ehrenreich is concerned, um he, his take on Han Solo or whether it be his take or the combined, you know, viewpoint of of he and Ron Howard or he and uh Phil Lord and Chris Miller, um I I think He, he definitely plays the character younger with a more like, like a lot of times he looks like the cat who ate the canary. He looks like he's got a secret, like he's busting out at the seams with confidence, you know, like with that smile of his, uh, he would actually like, you know, I kept thinking throughout the movie that if they were going to recast the Joker, they shouldn't use Joaquin Phoenix. They should use this kid. (laughs) <laughs> because, uh, of grin. because of the grin, yeah. Um, you know, whereas like Harrison Ford had a much more like jaded, relaxed, cool, you know, and I, I think one of the things that I, I, I knew this, but I hadn't really sat down and rewatched the original trilogy in a long time. Um, uh, you know, because i had seen it so much. It's just part of my DNA at this point where like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need to rewatch those movies. Um, but it was still a pleasure to do so. Um, but Han has like a real bad attitude <laughs> in in the original movies, and uh, and specifically, and I guess we'll get to Chewbacca, you know, in a minute. But like he doesn't treat Chewbacca very well in the original films un- until Jedi, to be honest, or maybe the End of Empire. Um, but like he's always yelling at Chewie uh, and and kind of like. Uh, yeah, he doesn't treat Chewie like an equal. Like it's almost like uh, because Chewbacca, you know, in the canon has a life debt towards Han Solo that he he almost kind of uh, in in some little way like almost resents it. Um and I I think uh I think they've sort of removed that completely. Uh which I'm not necessarily uh I don't mind that. I think it's a necessity for them to do that and to build a good relationship with Chewbacca in this movie. Um, but like the the sort of chip on his shoulder is that Harrison Ford has is is almost gone in this movie. Uh, I'm all, I'm of two minds of that. Like I I do think it's necessary for them to do that in this film, but I think if they were to go ahead and because they signed they signed these guys to three movies, if they were to do a trilogy of Han Solo stories. Uh, probably not now, but if they had, uh, by the end of that movie, we might see uh, the much more jaded, uh, angry Han Solo that we see in A New Hope. Yeah. Um,
1: there, uh, um, I guess maybe like you say, confidence, but like there's more like, like a youthful optimism that exists in Han too. Um, so I mean, I, I would like to see that Taken away from him, I
0: guess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, as long as it's earned from from you know the transformation of the character to the one that we know, um, from the end of this film,
0: you
1: know. Yeah. However long time period it takes between uh, the end of this film and the beginning of a
0: new hope. We were we were talking about the things that we liked about this movie, so let me go back to that for a second. Uh, I I like. Um, the Western influence in this film, uh, much more so than any of the other Star Wars movies. Uh, this one, you can tell, has been influenced by the genre of of Hollywood Westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I like that a lot, too. Yeah, you've, you've got, uh, well, the, the Woody Harrelson character, Beckett, uh, twirling his guns like a, you know, like a, a gunslinger would in a, a, an old Western. Uh, essentially, you know these are outlaws, bandits. Um you've got the feuding gangs, you know Beckett's gang versus the um let me see am I getting the name right? It's uh is it uh Enfist's Nest?
1: Uh that sounds correct. I'm not sure spelling wise what it
0: would be. Um so you know I I like that. I mean they literally have a train robbery in the middle of the movie. That's like the big set piece that you see in the trailer. Um you know which is something right out of a western. Um, you know, mining towns, you know, so a a lot, a lot of this is very Western, uh, based. Uh, I, I, I love the shot of Han's holster, uh, towards the end of the film when Enfys Nest, uh, it confronts them once they get to the, I forget the name of the planet where they have to refine the stuff that they steal in the Kessel Run, um. And you get that shot, it almost mimics the shot of Han in A New Hope, uh, when uh, Jabba the Hutt, uh, in the special edition of A New Hope, sorry, let me be specific, uh, when Jabba the Hutt is is confronting him at the Millennium Falcon, you get this nice low shot um, that is right off his hip, so that it, the gun is like the most important thing in the frame, and they kind of recreate that here in this film. So... So, I, you know, I like, like those things.
1: Like that, uh, the heist scene, actually. I think uh, the gunplay, I was very surprised to see um, see it as well done as it was. Um, Tandy Newton and uh, Woody Harrelson, I thought I thought those action scenes were pretty cool. And I thought it was, I didn't realize it, but I thought it was pretty interesting to watch a Star Wars film without lightsabers.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's definitely one of the things that I like about it. Um, I mean, we got that in, well, for the most part, in Rogue One as yeah. well. Uh, until the very end so but i I like the idea of them sort of expanding the universe past the idea of the jedi and the force and and kind of getting onto the fringes and this movie feels like it takes place on the fringe um there's very little imperial influence in this movie aside from han joining the empire and then leaving the empire um There are not that many stormtroopers in this movie, there's not that many Imperial ships, you get, you know, a couple shots of the Star Destroyers, uh, and there's the one action scene uh, while they're in the middle of the Kessel Run, uh, with the Star Destroyer and some TIE Fighters, but the, the, the Empire is not the antagonist in this movie. It exists in their world, but the antagonist, of course, is the idea that they have this debt- to the gangster that uh, Paul Bettany plays, who is part of Crimson Dawn. And we get that that uh, surprising cameo late in the film, at least surprising for a lot of people, of Darth Maul, who is, I, I assume, the head of Crimson Dawn. Yes. Um, which makes sense, because he's got a red face <laughs> and a red lightsaber and two giant mechanical legs because he was cut in half. He looks like an ostrich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they got Ray Park back for that, which is nice. Um, but but
1: did they didn't have Peter Serafinowitz back,
0: though. No, they did have a different actor do the voice. Um, but I don't, you know. I mean, it would have been nice to get him back, but yeah. I don't think I don't think most fans are gonna miss him specifically. No offense to Peter, but
1: <laughs> yeah, same thing with like Hugo Weaving, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in Avengers that's a good comparison because honestly like they got a guy to do uh uh Red Skull's voice that sounds kind of like Hugo Weaving, so I don't think anybody noticed. In fact, a lot of people after the movie were like, "Was that Hugo Weaving?" So, it was convincing enough.
1: <laughs> For some people.
0: I guess. <laughs> oh, are you saying that you have a better trained ear than the average moviegoer?
1: I just know I just know what uh
0: Hugo Weaving sounds like. <laughs> Every time Hugo Weaving talks, all I can hear is Agent Smith. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Over and over again. It's just Agent Smith.
1: I always think about the Leprechaun character he plays in Cloud Atlas.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, he's... Hey, man, we should rewatch that. Cloud Atlas is good. <laughs> I don't know if I have three hour, three and a half hours though. <laughs> right. We're getting a little off topic here. Uh, so, uh, what else about the film that did you like specifically? Um,
1: something that uh, I didn't haven't seen a. No, I guess for someone who's coming from um, a passion Asian film, something I haven't heard a lot of people talking about is um, the action director for the film. For like the choreography is uh, done by an Australian guy named Brad Allen. Um, are you familiar with the name?
0: I am from you.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, for people who don't know, Brett Allen is actually the first non Chinese person on Jackie Chan's stunt team. Um, he's been featured in a number of, uh, films, not only as like, a uh, uh, primary adversary, not necessarily a villain, but someone Jackie Chan fights for an extended period. Um, but he's also established himself, um, in a career as action, di- as action director, uh, most notably, um, in most of Edgar Wright's films. So movies like Scott Pilgrim, uh, World's End, um, and he ended up working on Ant-Man after Edgar Wright left, um, have kind of established him um, in terms of like his uh, credibility as an action director. Nice. Um, I was really happy to see that he was involved in the film. I was totally unaware of it until I saw his name in the credits though. But it makes sense um, uh, considering he's got that extended relationship with, I guess, Disney at this point with uh, a number of films.
0: Yeah. Um, I like that you can see the seeds of rebellion in this movie. Um, and I know a lot of people um, really like the character of L3, uh, who is voiced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh,
1: Where, where's, where's she from? I
0: have no idea. Yeah. A, qu- a quick there? trip to IMDb, though, will tell me that... Mm, I don't. Know. She's best known for a uh, looks like an independent film that Amazon put out called Fleabag. So this will probably be her big breakout. Yeah. Um. But yeah, L three is a robot character who is the co-pilot of Lando Calrissian. Uh. Obviously, you know she and Lando are are using the Millennium Falcon in the movie. Um. She is uh, all about uh. Android rights, and uh, and she she causes... I, I think, personally, my favorite scene in the entire movie is uh, when they're stealing the unrefined coaxium in Kessel. Or not Kessel. Whatever Where, it's at. Whatever the planet is, yeah. Uh, I think it's Kessel. They have to go to Kessel to get it and then get out of there, so... Maybe yeah. I'm wrong about that, but... Um, So, but, uh, but she essentially starts a rebellion there. um, And her character, much like K2SO in Rogue One, is uh, one of the highlights of the film, I think, uh, for, for humor. And, um, and I I think it's unfortunate, uh, although it does serve uh, its purpose in the film, I think it's unfortunate that we will not see L3 in any other films. Um, unless they go back and do like a Lando prequel movie, maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm
1: really going back, let's make everyone younger and younger. Yeah. See
0: works. But uh, you know, sticking with that theme, um, I like the the sort of reversal. Like the whole movie, like we are, um, you know, we are along for the ride with the crew. You know, of Beckett and Han and Chewie. And, you know, we know that they're working for gangsters, but because they're sort of trying to get out of debt of these gangsters, we don't consider them the bad guys. We consider them the good guys. Uh, And then, as a result of that, we are looking at the characters of Enfys Nest as the bad guys, or the antagonists of that. You know, they're they're at odds with our main characters. But secretly, they're part of the rebellion, it is revealed, so... Like, we look at them as the bad guys, but it turns out they're the good guys, and our good guys are essentially working for the bad guys, and I like that reversal towards the end of the picture.
1: I think um, you mentioned earlier that there's the uh, the Western influence. Um, there's a number of Western films that feature, um, typically they're Irish, um, like crime lords, but I guess Paul Bettany is like the stand-in being an Englishman, <laughs> an English actor. right. And you know he's dressed in black like a lot of uh, uh, a lot of those um, guys that command enforcers in Western films.
0: Um, he's got those scars on his face and the red eyes.
1: <laughs> are, his eyes are his eyes red? I
0: don't recall. Well, there it's not like the not like the color of his eyes are red, but like his eyes are like incredibly like bloodshot. Like his veins are larger than normal. Like
1: maybe he's not. You know. Well, he knows what species he is, I
0: guess. Right, exactly. You know, it's just a little touch. Uh, apparently, they had a CGI creation that was going to be this particular character, uh, and they were just looking for somebody to voice uh, the gangster. And when Ron Howard came on board, they decided that they wanted to put a human face instead of creating another alien. Uh, so that's when they cast Paul Bettany, um, and they just kind of like you know redesigned it. So which yeah. which I think is fine. Uh you know, I probably would have been okay with it either way, but I think with what Paul Bettany has to do in the film and the amount of like physicality he brings to it, especially in the last scene. Um I think a CGI character would have kind of stood out as um like at odds with the realistic and grittiness of the film. Yeah. You know
1: I what like I mean? I guess.
0: Yeah. Um I although speaking of that, I do like the Rio character that Jon Favreau plays. No,
1: see, I didn't.
0: <laughs> no, I didn't, honestly. But well,
1: no, tell me why, why did you like it? I don't
0: know. I just think he's entertaining. I, you know, I mean, I think Favreau's is funny in the role. Uh, I mean, he he gets a short exit, obviously. You know, which which sucks. Uh, the only the only thing I don't like about like the scenes that he's in is I hate. Uh, this is a pet peeve of mine, and this happens I think twice in the movie, because like Han Solo says, you know I'm a driver and a pilot, and they already have a pilot, and it's the Rio character that John Favreau plays. And during the train heist scene, uh, he gets shot in the shoulder or in the back, um, and Han has to has to like climb up into the ship and like right the ship and start to pilot it, and he really doesn't do anything at all. All he does is write the ship, you know, and the real character's like, you weren't lying, kid, you're a great pilot, and in the theater, I'm going, what? <laughs> he hasn't done shit. How is he a great pilot right now?
1: What do you know, CJ? You don't know what it's like to
0: pilot one of those I, things. I guess not, but like, <laughs> that, it happens later, too, where like, Han essentially does hardly anything, and I, I think like, um like Beckett and Kira or or somebody says, like, oh, wow, he's good. And I'm like, stop it. Just stop telling us. Just show us that he is good. Give us maybe something. Maybe the you level know. of
1: uh, pilotry that, that they have experienced in, like, these weird, like, fringe planets is not that great.
0: I don't know, but he like he does he does less in this movie than like Anakin Skywalker does in Phantom Menace. So like I wouldn't get all hopped up on like Han Solo being such a great pilot. I can destroy that
1: whole cruiser.
0: <laughs> Speaking like, of I which.
1: He did a barrel roll.
0: That's a good move, right? Do you ever really get the sense that Han's a terrific pilot in the original trilogy? I think I think the only thing that really does it is the asteroid field timing. sequence in Empire. It's not good timing, but that's it. Yeah, well, in M- the asteroid sequence in Empire makes him like I think that cements him as like oh wow like this is this is incredibly difficult and he's pulling it off. But like in in this movie, like I don't know they they kind of like. Because when L3 dies, they basically, they put her uh, navigational controls into the Falcon. So, like, the Kessel Run, like, he takes credit for for making the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs, but really, it's just because of the calculations that the computer makes. So, like, he doesn't do anything. No, well, like, they say, well, she, like,
1: when they, before they go, Lando tells them that uh, it would take 12 par, or was it, 20 parsecs to make it, and at that point, L three is the pilot at that time, so it's just that um, Han was able, or I guess you know, maybe not able, but he decides to go through instead of like doing like these smaller jumps um, as calculated by L three. So that's the difference, I guess. I
0: yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it's that he's just more reckless and yeah. lucky. Yeah. That's a good trick to have.
1: Yep. Yeah, he's,
0: like a good, a he's a good he's a good character go. to pair up with Domino from Deadpool.
1: Yeah, he's not that he's not that
0: lucky.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. Got a hole in his stomach to prove it. (laughs) Alright,
0: was there was there there anything about the movie that you did not like? Do you want to point out anything that you were not a fan of? Um I think uh, the movie's very dark. It looks like You (laughs) mean visually? Yeah. It lit with like a light bulb or something. Did you see it in three D?
1: No, I didn't.
0: You saw it at the Senator? Yes. Okay.
1: Why? Was it different in 3D?
0: No, but I, I've heard people what? complaining that a lot of their 2D screenings still had, like, the 3D lenses, so, like, it seemed darker than it really was supposed to be. Okay. I, I've seen yeah. that a, a, quite a few times online, of people complaining about the the actual exhibition of the film, the quality of the projection. Um, I, the screening that I was in, I thought uh, I thought the film looked... Um, I thought the film looked good as far as lighting and things like that. Uh, I'm not a fan, and we talked about this um, in regards to Rogue One. And I think when the trailer for this movie came out, that you know that like the the grayness and sort of like the uh, the lack of any sort of like bright spots and and color in the film is is a sticking point with me. I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, but overall, I thought it was well shot. Um, the The cinematographer's name is Bradford Young, um, who I, I've actually met him. Um, he did uh, He did a movie before he hit it big called "Mother of George," which played at the Maryland Film Festival, and he was there. It was the closing night film the year that it hit. And, um, and I actually got to to talk to him for a couple of minutes, um, back when he was nobody. so but now he's doing you know big movies. Like, uh, he did Arrival for Denis Villeneuve and he did Selma for Ava DuVernay. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's, he's one of the big time cinematographers out there right now.
1: Okay. But you didn't, you didn't, you didn't like his work on this film? Is that what you're saying?
0: I think it's solid work. It's just their choice, uh, to go with sort of like a muted color palette is not one of my favorite decisions, uh, for the movie. Um I I'll tell you what I what I thought um was good um although there's a little bit too much handheld in this movie I think uh that I you know obviously if we're going to get a Star Wars movie every year uh we're going to have to expect that people try different things and kind of deviate from the style of the original movies um but there were a couple of shots like in the Millennium Falcon cockpit where like the camera is a little bit unstable and it, that was kind of a little bit of a turnoff for me. Um, but uh, I, I, one of the nice little touches that I liked, and I think Ron Howard kind of stole this from himself uh, in the movie Rush with Chris Hemsworth, is that a couple of the times when we see Han Solo driving or flying, um, we get like an incredibly close shot of his eyes just for a quick second. And I think it happens twice in the film. It happens in the very opening scene when he steals the speeder. And then it happens in the Falcon uh, during one of the, you know, the the most tense points in the Kessel Run. Where you get like that really close shot of his eye. um, Where like the lens looks like it's like an inch away from his face. Um, And that's something we haven't seen in a Star Wars movie before. And I thought that that was actually quite effective in the moment.
1: It reminded me a bit of, um, the way you were describing it, I didn't necessarily feel it while I was in the theater, but um, it reminded me of, uh, I guess they do some, like, maybe not that close um, to the eyeball, but um, whatever you see in the, the film Speed Racer, like, speed shifting gears, especially in that final race, it zooms in on, like, his, you know, on both of his eyes, like, he's, like, that's the point, like, the fire builds behind him. Right. Um, what kind of stuff did you dislike about this film?
0: Well, I think maybe now's as good a time to get into it as as any. Um, I, I my overall feeling on this movie was that I liked the film. I, I you know I, I went in I tried to be as open minded about it as possible, and you know after seeing the trailers that I was not super excited about this movie. Like I, I I've talked about that ad nauseum. I you know I didn't think we needed a solo prequel. Um, and I think uh, the last thing I wanted was exactly what this movie is. And let me explain. <laughs> um, this this could have been called Han Solo, the Forming of a Smuggler. Uh, this hits so many boxes, it's, it's too neatly formed for me. We, we get essentially how he got his name. We get how he meets Chewie. We get how he gets that iconic-looking blaster that he loves so much. We get how he comes in contact with Lando. We get how he gets the Falcon. We get the Kessel Run. We get him shooting first and how, you know, that, that develops. You know, which was a nice little bit, actually. I do like that, but we'll, we'll come back to that. And then we get the idea of him going to tattooing. So we, we get all of these pieces together in one movie. Now, going back to what I said before, I like the film. I think they did it about as well as they could possibly weave those things together. But did we really need seven or eight of those things in one movie?
1: Especially considering that they're supposed to do—they were supposed to do a couple more films, right? Yeah.
0: Why couldn't wow. they have chosen three of those things and said, "Let's make a really strong story where we get some of these pieces, but let's leave this character a bit unformed"? so that we can go somewhere with it or that the audience can maybe even oh My gosh, use their imagination to see how, how he got these things or where they came from. And I, I it's just, it it's fan service and uh, not, not in a good way. But now like I liked this movie, I think honestly, and this is uh here's my hot take. I think this is maybe the most consistently entertaining movie that they have put out since they started these new Star Wars movies. I I think I have fewer problems as a fan watching this than I do with Force Awakens, Last Jedi, or Rogue One.
1: That's an opinion I think I've heard a lot of other people
0: reiterate. Yeah. But at the same time, I think the high points of films like Force Awakens and Last Jedi I think, are higher than where we get in this movie. And I think...
1: It's a smaller-scale smaller, smaller scale film, too, though, so I think the epicness... Well, I
0: like that about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, me too, but I think um, with it being smaller-scale, you don't have, like, the as kind of... like, the awesome moments. They're, they're just not available in a, in a movie um, that's, like, more focused, you know?
0: Yeah. And it did give me goosebumps in one, one moment... Uh, I, like, as a, like, the inner kid in me was brought out the very first time Chewie sits down in the co-pilot seat.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, there's a musical cue that goes along with it, too, though,
0: yeah? Yeah, there is, but, like, that moment where, you know, Han's Hans essentially piloting the Falcon and Kira's in the co-pilot seat, and then you've got that moment where Chewie just presses a bunch of buttons because she doesn't know what she's doing, and Han's like, when did you learn how to fly? And then you get that that joke about him being one hundred and ninety years old and and Han says, "Oh, you look great," and then Kira is like, Chewy, get in here, but when he actually sits there and then they kind of look at each other, and there's just like kind of a connection like that they make a good team together, and like that's the moment where like the little kid in me was like squealing with joy like on the inside <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that's the moment when Derek Zoolander and Hansel realize they're on the same page.
0: <laughs> did we just become best friends? <laughs> Wrong movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, solo. <laughs>
1: but um, okay, we didn't really talk about it. But uh, Amelia Clark, we, we haven't talked
0: about her at all yet. We haven't talked about uh, a bunch of stuff, but yeah, Amelia Clark, go for it.
1: The female lead. Um, you know, I may be one of the only people left that uh,
0: that doesn't has- watch Game of Thrones.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the only thing I've really seen her in is Terminator Genesis. I think.
0: Yeah, Which is I mean, not a great showcase for her abilities because that movie sucks
1: <laughs> um, and you know, she's okay in this movie. I don't I mean she I think she's easy on the eyes, but uh, this movie doesn't do anything for me to convince her that she's a good actress um, and you know, I'm not gonna be watching Game of Thrones. I'm just gonna say that right now, probably ever <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know. I don't get why she keeps on getting roles, but uh, there's definitely there must be something about her that I just don't see.
0: I, I think she has a movie star quality. Um, I do think that you can see much more nuance in her performance over the seven seasons of Game of Thrones, um, and she, she is good in that show. Um, I, to be honest, I think she's pretty good in this movie. Um, I think you're right. There's not... The character reveals a little bit more complexity towards the end of the film, um, you know, with the the idea of her son kind of, uh, playing Han, at least in part playing Han, because she genuinely has feelings for Han, I think, uh, but she's sort of playing Han a little bit, uh, you know, she's sort of rising into the ranks of Crimson Dawn by killing, uh, Dryden Voss. Um, You know, because she could have escaped in that moment. Now, she would have been looking over her shoulder and running the rest of her life, but she could have escaped with Han, and they could have gone on their adventures, as she talks about in the movie. Um, But she doesn't. She makes a choice, and I like that. And I think that, like like I said, she becomes a little bit more complex towards the end of the film. Um, But there's there's not a, a lot for her to chew on earlier in the picture. But that, I think that's the same with most characters outside of Han himself. Uh, although uh, Donald Glover gets to sort of uh, chew some scenery and, and, and be cool and charismatic as Lando.
1: Yeah. As cool as charismatic as Donald Glover.
0: <laughs> almost, almost. I mean, Donald Glover's pretty charismatic. Yeah. It's that smile. Do you like his performance as Lando? Do you think it's a little bit too much of an impersonation and less of him building a character, uh, the way that uh, Aaron Reich does for Solo? Well,
1: you know, I, I do like his, um, I do like his performance, but you're right; it's, it does seem like impersonation, especially because um, I'm quite familiar with him on the community television series, and I and I know his abilities as a com- comedic actor. Yeah, um, like it's hard for me, especially when he's doing a voice that's not his own using inflection that's not his own it's hard for me not to see him right uh, not doing it as a joke because he's you know he's a former sketch comedian
0: too you know do you watch Atlanta Uh, I haven't no me either I really want to start that though because everyone says it's amazing (laughs)
1: yeah um I'm not sure if it's on any streaming service so uh,
0: oh it's probably I mean it's an FX show right
1: yeah
0: it's probably on FX on demand yeah I guess so um but i I like him in the movie and i I do think he's able to layer it a little bit and we get a few things about Lando um, that you know that maybe we didn't know <laughs> whether it's true or not they have that I, I think it's a really good scene between the the character of Kira and L3 in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon where um, l3 is trying to talk shop sister to sister with, uh, with Kira about lovemaking and love life and everything. And, uh, and I, I know our audience had a real blast with that. Like, I think more people laughed out loud during that scene than almost any other point in the movie outside of that Kessel Run sequence. Um, and, and you get this idea that, that Lando is, um, that, ha- that he has feelings for, for L3. Um, so, I you know, I think there's 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 a lot of little things that kind of like add up for that character over the course of the film, but yeah, it's 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 definitely him trying to do kind of what Ewan McGregor did in the Phantom Menace, by kind of like, you know, changing his voice to try to suit the character instead of not worrying about it. I don't mind it, but I hope if they bring Lando back in any other films, whether it be his own another Han Solo or something else, um, you know, I, I hope to see them sort of build a little bit more into the character.
1: Yeah. Like, if they do, a, like, a Lando film, maybe he'll be doing some smuggling or, like, the establishing of um, Cloud
0: City. I'm not For sure I'd fun. want, like, a whole film about Lando, although, I don't know, who am I kidding? I mean, they, they definitely would get my ten bucks out of that. Um, but, like, we we don't know a whole lot about Lando outside of what we've seen on screen. Um, so, we Where's the, I I guess for Disney, like, I I think the big selling point with this movie was exactly the thing that I don't like about it. That, hey, we can give the fans all these things that they've heard of but haven't seen. And I think with Lando, we haven't heard enough about his character for them to really market a film around... Uh, like the way they did with Solo, with like the Kessel Run and the Millennium Falcon and stuff like that. I think that would be a tougher sell, even though um, I sort—I guess I would—I would welcome that. But
1: yeah, something different.
0: Yeah. What do I know, though?
1: <laughs> Let me ask you this: um, As someone who's an avid poker player, what did you think about the gambling scenes in this film?
0: Uh, they're like most hollywood uh gambling scenes i guess. i mean i thought they were fine. i don't think they went on too long, which is always a good thing. uh that's that's one of my one of my few things that i dislike about casino royale is i think the poker scenes go on way too long. um to the point where it almost grinds the movie to a halt. uh and and the poker scenes really aren't that interesting. <laughs> so um you know, as far as the Sabak scenes or Sabac scenes in Solo, I, I think they're probably just about the right uh, length and pace uh, for them to to kind of get through and get the point across. Um, I Lando seems to be—he's described in *The Empire Strikes Back* as a card player, a gambler, a scoundrel. So we ex- expect him to be a good card player, uh, and we know that he loses the Millennium Falcon to Han Solo in some sort of gambling in, in legacy lore. We knew that he lost it in a sabacc card game, but that's never brought up in the movies. So he just says, you lost her to me fair and square. So I'm okay with them kind of reproducing that from like the legacy lore. Um, But we never, we never know that Han Solo is a good card player and we don't really see him gamble in the film before that moment. So uh, I, it works just fine, but like it it would have been nice maybe if, uh, if we had kind of seen him, uh, I don't know, play a game of chance in some other way earlier in the film to kind of set that up.
1: Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned legacy lore, um, something I was pretty surprised to hear. I guess there's a there's a scene um, where you he where you see Kira, uh, you know, establish some formidable fighting ability. Right. Uh, I want to say it's L three that says, "Where did you learn that?" or or something. And she says um, she learned it from uh, Dryden. Uh, Dryden. Um, and she calls it uh, Kasi. which is uh, there's a pretty infamous Star Wars video game for the original PlayStation called Masters of Kasi. which is like one of, like, the shittiest fighting games ever made.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. So you think that's, like, a little in-joke? I mean,
1: well, like, I, I mean, it's cool that they attached something that was in, like, such an obscure... Because, I mean, there's a lot of Star Wars um, fans who probably, who've never played that game, let alone know how to pronounce it. But the, the fact that they included it was something that surprised me, someone who's a, a pretty big fighting game fan. So, I mean, I thought that that was that was pretty cool, um, but I, I just wonder if people even knew what that was. Because, I mean, she says that matter of so like, it was meant to be a reference, but I wonder how many people actually were able to, you know, to get anything out of
0: it. Well, I didn't get it. That's funny. Uh, there are plenty of other uh, references in the film, though. We talked about Darth Maul, um, but when they are talking about who they should have recruited for their team, they mention Bosk, yeah. uh-huh. who is one of the bounty hunters from the Empire Strikes Back. And um, they also mention that Beckett killed Ara Singh, who was a big character in the legacy lore as well. Um, she was a bounty hunter, uh, and and he says that he just pushed her, and the fall killed her, which is a, which is a, a neat little joke. Yeah, just like Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, so I mean, there's definitely those those things. Uh, I like that they're not sticking to legacy lore. That they're giving filmmakers the the flexibility to kind of tell the stories that they want to tell. Um, but I, I I like the idea of them sort of giving little nods to them here and there because a lot I'm not one of them because I didn't you know read every Star Wars book and every Star Wars comic and play every Star Wars game. The movies are really where my my heart and my interest lied. Um, but there are a lot of fans that really just scoured through that stuff and and ate it up and uh and some of them I, I understand are very very good. Uh and so a lot of those characters when they sort of like discontinued the legacy series and started for over from scratch, a lot of people were you know disapp- disappointed to say the least. You know, butthurt hurt is what I was going to say, but uh, <laughs> you hurt fans. Uh, uh I, I, you know, I have heard from many, many fans that they were disappointed when that happened, and I'm glad that they're sort of peppering in some of those references for those fans now. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a, a nice touch, you know, for them to kind of do that.
1: Yeah. As long as it doesn't conflict with other other stories, you can, you know, people can always imagine that the events that they, at least some of the events that these characters have in their personal history have have happened or occurred. Yeah. Else you want to talk about I don't, I don't know what else
0: to oh, I do I think I've said my piece I guess
1: yeah I always think that like whenever we do a, a podcast about like a recent film we don't always have too much to talk about because it's it's too new yeah have, like, a lo-
0: there's not a lot of perspective when you've seen a movie once or sometimes twice uh, and you've only had a couple of days to think about it so yeah. okay. um, but you know Uh, in general, like I said, uh, sitting in the theater, I was entertained by this movie and there were very few turnoffs, uh, conceptually, um, I think it's fan service and I, I, I'm not sure it's going to be looked at as one of the great Star Wars movies, but it's certainly not one of the worst ones either.
1: Okay. That's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have anything else to add. Any final thoughts?
0: No. No? Okay. That, that was my final thought okay. <laughs> any last let thing? me see if I can come up with any jack handy quotes
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, all I
1: can you know, think about is start it
0: yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> <laughs> do you think uh-huh. that they, do you think that they will make a sequel to this regardless of the financial uh, uh, turnout of the film well, you know, I
1: I don't know that um, a sequel was actually ever in the works. Um, I feel like, like you mentioned, they were signed for multiple films. I don't know that there's going to be, you know, a solo part two. I just always imagined that they would show up in, like, extended universe, like, other stories, you know?
0: Yeah. I To be honest, I would have taken the approach of developing a story that took place before New Hope with new characters, maybe the seeds of the Rebellion, um, that were... Characters like Lando and Han Solo could have sort of, like, weaved in and out of. Um, where, you know, uh, Han Solo might just pop up somewhere, you know. Yeah,
1: they'd even, you know, maybe they needed one of them to smuggle something for him. Yeah. Um, he's like, you know, take the job.
0: Um, we Maybe we'll see Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon and Chewbacca pop up in the Boba Fett movie? Uh, Possibility, yeah. Um, what what did you think of, uh, John Powell's score for Solo?
1: Um, forgettable, to be honest. Um, I think,
0: uh... I think it was better than the Rogue One score.
1: I mean, that was forgettable, too. I, I can't think of anything from
0: the Rogue One, like, yeah. the original score at all. Except for uh, the, like, the scene with Darth Vader, like, shows up at the end. Yeah, uh, last night, I, I um, after watching Return of the Jedi... I uh I sent a tweet out like that that I was excited for the first new Star Wars movie to not use any of the original music to just come up with its own brand new score. Um because I think I think Solo, I think the score is fine. I I, I think there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's I think it's more consistently Star Warsy than the um the Rogue One score which just seemed to sort of like be a a remix of John Williams stuff in in many ways. Um, there's a lot of new pieces, like the, the, the romance theme in Solo is a brand new piece. Um, but during the Kessel Run sequence, they basically ape um, some of John Williams' original music, uh, like the Asteroid Belt sequence in Empire Strikes Back. They basically play that in, like, They they transplant that into the Kessel Run scene for just like just a few seconds, so it's more of a callback. Um, But I like Star Wars and music have really been like tied together, and you know we were really like spoiled with John Williams, uh, at least through the first six movies, and uh, the stuff that he did in those movies, even the prequels, is just dynamite. I I mean and and I, I think I think I might have tweeted this out last night too like I think the the stuff in the prequels is is different and bolder and fresher than what's in the original trilogy um and they don't reuse a ton of music from the original trilogy he basically composes new themes for all three of those movies and I think the work that he did with Force Awakens and um The Last Jedi is good, and when you compare it to the solo theme and the uh, Rogue One score, uh, it it really kind of uh, illustrates how amazing John Williams is, uh, because I, I think his scores for Force Awakens and Last Jedi are not anywhere near the quality of the original six films.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there.
0: But they're still way better than what we got in the other two anthology movies. And I, I think they, I think they need to go bold. I think they need to to say, look, you know, you can you can kind of remix and and like, you know, sample a little bit of the original Star Wars music, but like I just want to see composers come in and compose new music, and and you know, treat these characters the way that John Williams treated the original characters, um, because I think that's such a big part of Star Wars. And it's, I think it's, I think it's the one aspect of these movies, regardless of what you think of the overall quality of them, but I think that it's the one aspect of these new anthology movies that is just not up to what the the rest of the production values are. Like they, they, I really would have loved to have seen uh, because Alexander Desplat was originally going to score Rogue One. Yes. Uh, and when they pushed post production back, he had to leave. And that's when they hired Michael Giacchino? Is it Giacchino? Giacchino? Uh,
1: Giacchino. I, I think, think that's what
0: i heard. I think that's what it is. Um, so I, I think, obviously, Michael Giacchino has done great work for other movies, uh, and, and there was a, a truncated, shortened schedule for him to do the music for Rogue One, so I'm not blaming him necessarily, um, but... I would have loved to have seen Alexander Desplat take a year and do a Star Wars movie because that guy's yeah. phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I think uh, he's one of the, he's one of the best guys working today, definitely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I hope they hire him for a different movie. Um, and once John Williams is done with Episode Nine, I, I hope they really try to do some, you know, some some good stuff. I, I still want symphonic scores. But, like, I mentioned the Boba Fett movie a couple of minutes ago. The Boba Fett movie is one where you could definitely, like, get a little bit more edgy and <laughs> like try Marvel. something. What's that?
1: Red Resner or something. Uh,
0: well, sure. I, I was, I- actually, I'm not a huge fan of Hans Zimmer's recent work, but I-, I almost think that Hans Zimmer's scores for, like, Dunkirk and Man of Steel and things like that would translate well to, like, a Bounty Hunter movie.
1: A lot more horns.
0: Yeah, well, and and all percussive, like you know, he does he does a ton of stuff with percussion, um, and electronics. So, like, that's something that I think I would look forward to if they were going to do, you know, a, a Boba Fett, a Bounty Hunter movie, you know, something that's that's just a little bit different.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting possibility.
0: So, um, are there any? Standalone Star Wars movies, anthology stories that you would like to see as a fan. Anything you've dreamt of? <laughs> Me? Yeah. Because um, you know the one that I want, right? Um, Wedge Antilles. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I would. I would love a Boba Fett movie that takes place just after Empire, where it's literally. No, 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 not after Jedi, after Empire.
1: Okay, where he's, like, hanging out with Boba Fett, or with, um, Jabba the Hutt.
0: No, well, see, this is how I envision it. I envision it as a Mad Max Fury Road-style movie where Boba Fett's got Han, but the Rebels want to get Han back, and all the other bounty hunters want to take that bounty right underneath from him. And, uh, and so it's a race to Jabba's palace, and it's just like a giant chase movie where we get to see Boba Fett kick some serious ass. Because he doesn't do shit in the original movies. And he's been, you know, one of the like biggest cult characters for so long that we need to see Boba Fett do something amazing. In, Directed in a, by Joe Johnston or, or something, right? <laughs> Joe Johnston, yeah, Joe Johnston should have done a Boba Fett movie. Uh, he uh, okay. He lobbied have, George have, Lucas for that.
1: I think we need to do like a, um, maybe not a movie, but there needs to be like, uh, like a documentary film series of the creatures of the Star Wars universe narrated by David Attenborough.
0: Uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the Sarlacc pit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, uh, yeah, it'll be like, uh, you know. Close-up camera shots of like it digesting both of that. <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> native She's to doing the doing home doing world doing. of Tatooine yeah. and its twin sons it digests its food over a thousand years let's take a look <laughs> I'm
1: down with
0: it yeah that would be amazing <laughs> are, are there there's no like characters or like stories like that immediately come to mind that you would want to have a anthology film on um
1: No, I mean, maybe, maybe like a Maz, like a young Maz movie, maybe, from the recent films. Maz Katana?
0: Yeah. Nice. She's a pretty interesting character, but, you know, like, I mean, in The Last Jedi, there's
1: that video call where she shows up and she's in the middle of a firefight. Right. You don't know anything, like, what's going on? I was like, you know, and she, they say she's been alive for a thousand years. Well, that's
0: funny because I half expected her to show up in the Solo movie, but uh, I'm glad that she didn't. Oh, yeah. That's Mm. a good point. Um... Yeah, that's cool. Like, I, I would, I would love to see them take some side characters and really develop them outside of the main timeline. So, like,
1: maybe yeah. like the Cantina Band. You know, it'll be like basically walk the line, but following the Cantina Band.
0: No, but I mean, or do a
1: musical like Jersey Boys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're done, I guess. (laughs) Sorry, I (laughs) (laughs) You ruined it. I think it was worth it, though. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Um, All right, cool. Uh, Well, uh, as is customary, where can people find you on the internet, good sir? You can
1: find me at filmsmash.com and very infrequently on Twitter at Junior
0: And you can find me on Twitter at Setting the Frame. So there you have it. Uh, Is our next episode Jurassic Park?
1: Uh,
0: I guess so. Yeah, let's get that in the books. Alright, cool. Uh, so we watch Jurassic Park, re Jurassic Park. Uh, we will talk about that next week. And uh, we will see you guys next time, I guess. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks, Cesar. Thank you. Celluloid Jelly was recorded using Google Hangouts, mixed using Apple's GarageBand software, and hosted by Podbeam. For any inquiries related to celluloid jelly, please email setting the frame at gmail.com.